It's crazy. And we're going to go to a scripture that everybody in here knows and we've talked about. And I swear sometimes when I hear preachers preach something about this, I'm like, there's another sermon about that. But I, I like it because when you read scripture, this is what makes the scripture so awesome, is that you read it and then you read it again and then you get something completely different. And then you read again, and that's why it's called the inspired word of God. It's because it's, live, it's a living organism. It is constantly alive. When most books you read, and you read the book, and you, that's the book. And you might read it a second time, but this book, it's always breathing. It's always living. It's always speaking. And so we're going to talk about 1 Samuel 17 today. You've heard the story. You know the story. You've read the story, probably. You've talked about it in Sunday school, Bible school, everything else growing up. But we're going to go back to it today just for a few verses because it's important. Because God is always making way. uh, So 1 Samuel 17, verse 13 through 19. We're going to read that to uh, all of us here. It says that Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab. The second was Abinadab. And the third was Shema. David was the youngest The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Now, I want to point out something to you right here, and I'm just going to be very transparent with you. Is it okay if I'm transparent with you? You know, when you read Scripture, and all of a sudden one day you see something that, how did I miss that? You know what I'm saying? And I had one of those moments the other day when I was reading this, and I was like, wait a second. And I feel like an idiot, you know, but I'm just being honest with you because... That's, I feel like, good. All right, so he said, it says that David was the youngest three oldest of Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So in other words, David was already been going down there. Okay, so it's important that we get this today because David had already been going down to do what? To serve Saul. We're going to come back to that in a little while, and that's the reason I want to put some emphasis on that so that you see this is that he had been going back and forth. He had been hopping on his little car, whatever he had, you know, his little Toyota, and he went down there to help Saul, and then he rode back up to watch the sheep. And then he would go back down and everything else. And so, obviously, this time he went down, things were a little different. But it says, For 40 days the Philistines came uh, forward every morning and evening and took their stand. And uh, so now Jesse said to his son David, he said, Take this ephah. Okay, everybody say that with me. Will you ephah? Okay, we're going to talk about that in a minute. Of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these uh, ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are, it says, with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah uh, fighting against the Philistines. Okay, well, hold on. Because, of course, he knew that because he had already been going. Did you catch that? So his own daddy didn't even really realize what all David was doing. And you talk about being overlooked. David is quite possibly the most overlooked person in Scripture from the people around him. There's nobody that believed in David except God. And nobody else mattered except God, right? So David didn't go down to fight, though. That's what's so amazing about the story is David didn't go hop in his toy and go down to fight the fight. He went down to do what? He went down to serve. David didn't go down to fight. He went down to serve. And so it's interesting because everybody talks about the bag and the five smooth stones and killing the giant, but the true power was in the ephah, the bushel. That was what it was, a bushel. You see, because, every, you know, it was the bushel that brought David to the purpose. 
and showed him that what the bag that he already had was all about. You know, and so we want the bag, we want the stones, we want to kill the giant, but we're a little bit leery of grabbing the bushel and taking it down to people and serving people, quite possibly a lot of them that overlook us, that underestimate us, and don't appreciate all that we do. You know, so this is a big deal this morning because we all want the bag of stones, but not many are willing to carry the bushel, and the bushel is the key to getting to the bag. And if you find your bushel, you will find your bag of stones, and you will slay your giant. And the bushel is our service, is what we do to serve people around us, to serve God. And so I like it when people come to me and they say, they say, they say listen, I don't care where I'm plugging in. I just want to plug in. I'm just going to do it. And, you know, that's the kind of people that God works through. That's the kind of people that God heals. That's the kind of people that God works victoriously through. But then there are those that come to me and say, well, I just don't know what my purpose is. I'm not sure. I'm scratching my belly because it's creepy. So I'm not sure. I've been praying about what to do. Well, there's 100,000 things you can do. And the problem is, is that we are looking for the perfect one because we're looking for the bag of stones rather than looking to pick up the bushel. And the power is in the bushel, not the bag of stones. The bushel was, if, if David hadn't have picked up the bushel, he would have never made it to defeating the giant. That was the whole key to it all. So sometime back, I was sitting in a meeting with a, with a, <clears throat> a dozen people. And we're talking about working or, uh, on something together. And as it began to take shape and people took roles, <clears throat> one after another, people began to take roles. And it was so important to me. I knew going into that meeting, I said, you know, I have a role. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And I, I know that what we're talking about here is vital. It is very important. But it's important that everybody in this room steps up to take a role or otherwise it's not going to be any good. And I began praying weeks in advance. And I said, man, God, I need you. You, you work and you do. And, and people started jumping and taking roles and everything else. And I was like, yes, yes, yes. I was. I was so excited. <clears throat> because it's never good when it's just you. It's always better when somebody else joins you. And then there was this one person that spoke up and said, listen, I appreciate this. And I know it's fantastic. But I don't feel like leading. I'm just going to attend. And I knew in my heart that night when we sit there that this was the moment that he was in a transition and he had the opportunity to choose victory and he chose to just sit and consume. You see, part of our victory, part of our overcoming is that we move from consumer to giver. We move from milk to steak. And he chose to stick with milk. And so I said in my mind that night, I didn't go to him and say, you screwed up. Because the truth is, I don't know for sure. But in my heart, I said that night, I said, this is the night that this, he had the choice to choose to do something bigger than he'd ever done before with his story, with what's going on. And he chose to say, I'm not going to lead. I'm just going to come. In other words, I'm not going to give. I'm just going to consume. And I knew that night when we walked out that door, I was hurt. I went home and I literally cried because this is a person that I prayed for for a long time. And I knew that this was a moment that would probably take him down the wrong way. And sure enough, fast forward a few months, 
And he's regressed and went into this place. You know why? Because I can take it back to the night that somebody said, here's a bushel. And he said, no, I want the stones. You with me? He said, here's the grain and here's the cheese. Take it down. And he said, no. He said, no, no, I want the stones. I just want to defeat my giant. Listen, no amount of meetings with the pastor, no amount of prayer is going to work when it comes down to the fact of simple obedience. When God gives us a door to walk through and we refuse to walk through it because we're just going to come and we're just going to consume. And so David has presented with this opportunity here. It's a big deal. And see, he said, here's the bushel. And said, so we all want to kill that giant, but not when any of us are willing to pick that bushel up. But watch this. God will bring you to it. Y'all know that, right? But it's up to you to do it. God will bring you to it. He did to David. He, David didn't even realize what God was bringing him to. But God brings you to it. It's up to us to do it. So let's look again. I don't know if they could pull it back up or whatever. Verse 14, it says, David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. There it is again. Right? That we just read that. He was already going back and forth. David had already been going back and forth, so God had been warm, warming him up for this. God had been preparing him for this. God had been, it wasn't just a foreign thing. I mean, he was going down there. I think this is the first time that he's seen Goliath come out and bark all these things. But this is an interesting thing because God had been warming him up. And I believe a lot of us, you look around you today, God is warming that person up beside you. They're warming up. You might even look over to them. You might even rub them a little bit. Say, God's warming you up. God is warming you up. He's been taking you down to that battlefield already. And he's been warming you up for this. It was service, though, that accelerated him toward his purpose. Let me ask you, was it the people that were down there fighting the fight, they weren't really fighting, that defeated the giant? No. Who was it that God used to defeat the giant? The one who was serving, the greatest service servant of everybody there was the greatest of all people, and nobody, nobody could see it except God. And so what was it that accelerated? I mean, when we serve like David did, we push the accelerator down, and God races us toward his purpose. And that's, there's a big reason for that. But one of the reasons that we believe wholeheartedly in service here is because, and in our community, is because people that are serving are people that are being set free. That's just the truth. If people are serving, they are being set free. I've seen it. I've been pastor for a long time, and I've seen it over and over and over. I have meetings with people, and they're struggling with things, and they don't do anything, they don't plug in, they, don't, they hate the community, they, they think it's awful and everything else, they hate their neighbors, and they, hate the, they come to church, and they really like the preacher, they really like the, the worship team, or whatever it is, but that's not the power, that's not where it's at. And then when that person finally, it clicks, and they begin to do something to serve others around them, then all of a sudden God really begins to do some amazing things in their life. And if you don't believe me, just read the story of David. David's a great place to start. And who might we say that David might be the best king that the world has ever known, besides the king of kings, right? And he screwed up, he messed up, and everything else. But David learned what we need to learn is that this. Promotion does not come from man. Promotion comes from the Lord. It's in the scripture. I remember it over and over and over. I've seen people through the years, with, especially with worship teams. Worship teams are some of the... We, we don't have any issues with our worship teams, but we have through the years. And there are others that have been in church through the years that know that some of the biggest struggles that you'll ever encounter in church is with worship teams. 
because everybody wants to lead. Everybody wants to be the leader. Everybody wants to, to, to you know, all these, there's egos, there's all these stuff. And, the, and egos are even bigger among pastors. You get a room full of pastors, gosh, there ain't a fish big enough in this world. To, you know, I mean, I mean we, we are out peeing each other. All the, I mean, you know, it's like, no, I, I can go further than that. No, no, I can go further than that. No, let me tell you about how big's your church? How big's you know, whatever. So I try to steer clear of most pastors because <laughs> I don't want to get into that. And so, but we know, and so sometime years ago, we had somebody pushing someone else into trying to be the, to the, the worship leader, and they were not ready for that uh, in lots of different ways. And I kept saying, listen, Scripture says promotion comes from the Lord. And they were like, no, no, no. And so here's what happens is when we don't wait on the Lord to promote us and we try to promote ourselves, we stunt our growth. It may never happen. And the truth is, in this case, it never did happen for this particular person because they were trying to promote when God says in his word, I'm the one who promotes. And David knew that, I believe, in his heart that doing these things, and I don't think David was seeking a promotion, but God is the one who's doing the promotion, and God sees the servant. And it's funny because his brothers didn't know uh, that one, the one that served them was actually going to be the one that ruled over them. God, shut up. When he delivered the bread, the grain, and the cheese, and they were like, oh, it's just David, it wasn't going to be long after that that David was going to be reigning over them. And see, God promoted the servant so he, and so here's the thing is, is David learned this. And if you humble yourself, Scripture says in due time, God will lift you up or God will exalt you if you humble yourself. Now, it depends on how you say it, though. Back when I first became a Christian, some people say, well, you need, need to be humble. I'm like, what's humble? And, every, and I heard somebody say that. Nobody, I've not heard anybody say it in South Carolina, but I hear people in Virginia say it. I'm like, is that like a, a super classification for those that are humble? There are people that are humble, but then there are the humble people, you know. And I'm like, are they holy too? Because I prefer to say holy. I don't know about you guys. But anyway, so, and so here it is. And David, it's funny because his brothers didn't know this all about him. And here David is humbling himself. But it, I believe this, after really digging through this this week, I, I'm, re, I'm learning things about it I didn't know before. If your giant looks at you and says, what am I, a dog? that you would send this boy to fight me? Until you're willing to be underestimated, you won't win that battle that you're trying to win. If it bothers you to be underestimated, then it's probably never going to be victorious for you. Because the fact that you're underestimated means that you are flying under the radar and you're allowing God to promote the one who is the servant, which is the greatest of all, you're allowing God to fight your battles, and that's what servants do. Now, I don't love it when people say, well, he's such a great guy. He's got a servant's heart. I really don't like that. But I think it's good. I just don't like it. I'm just telling you personally, I just don't like it. I'm not saying it's scriptural. I just think that that's what people use when they don't know what to say about somebody. You know what I'm saying? They'll look at a young person, they're like, they're such a, they have such a servant's heart. In other words, it's kind of like bless their heart because I don't really know what to say about them other than that. But that's okay because they're going to fly under the radar. If they're, gonna, they're least likely. If there was such a thing, if you had an annual, I mean, y'all remember in high school, I was not 
I was definitely not the one who would be chosen as most likely to succeed. Do we have any most likely to succeed in here from your high school days? Nobody? All of you. Oh, David, you, you were? Really? What happened? I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm just joking with you. <laughs> we can carry on like that. He keeps coming back. I don't know why. It's crazy. It's weird. It's like David or something. I want you to think about it. I was voted most school-spirited. And that's because I was the mascot. They didn't have, it's like, well, who else would we, and, you know. There was other people that were more so than me. But isn't it funny looking back on that, that we were actually going to choose who was going to be the most successful? And you know who we chose? The people that made straight A's. Straight A's don't have a, a, anything to do with being successful. Y'all know what I'm saying? How many of you are glad of that? I'm thankful. <laughs> you know, I'm really thankful that that's the case because, you know, but here's the thing is until I'm willing to be underestimated, if I'm not comfortable being underestimated, I kind of like it in a way. How about y'all? I kind of like it when somebody doesn't really pay attention to me or maybe they underestimate what I'm able to do or something else and um, I just think it's funny and David didn't mind being called a boy by the giant because he had been underestimated by everyone in his own family and everyone around him all of his life and I'm going to prove to you here because we just read these and I emphasize these but here he was and he was saying I don't have much but what I have I'm going to give it to God and God is going to give it to you basically is what he said to the giant and as I close this today I want you to look at it real quick verse 18 I'm going to pull verse 18 back up again take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit see how your brothers and uh, see uh, how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them not insurance assurance okay assurance was a token in other words it was something to symbolize that they are okay that they're doing all right. And the truth is, they were alive, but that was all. I mean, how wonderful was it to be sitting down there every day, being scared to death, being afraid to go out anywhere. They, never, they didn't do any uh, Uber Eats or anything like that, probably. They're scared to death that something was going to happen. They would go out there because they knew it was their duty to go out there and stand, but they were not willing to fight because nobody was doing it. And here they are every day, and his dad says, now I want you to go down there and check and see if they're okay and bring me back some assurance that they're all right. Bring me back something that will assure me that they're okay. Bring me back something that lets me know that, that my people are winning. And when you fast forward in the story, you see David. He killed the giant. What was the first thing you see him do after he killed that giant? He took the giant's sword, and he cut his head off. And you know what he was doing with that head? Taking it back to his daddy. Have you ever thought about that? His daddy told him right there. He said, bring me back some assurance. And David said, hmm. I'll just take him the head of a giant. Yeah, they're doing good. Right? You know what I'm saying? I mean, think about it. This is pretty good stuff. I mean, I'm like, wait a second. Hold on. I've read that a thousand times, and it never occurred to me that the reason that David was cutting the giant's head off was not just to prove a point to everybody around. He was taking it back to his daddy. His daddy who underestimated him. And his daddy probably looked at it and said, How'd you get that? Did your brothers get it? And he said, no, daddy, I got it. And his daddy said, you lie. <laughs> right? 
Saul had been served by David for how long now? And we see it in Scripture. And when David went to be fitted for Saul's armor, Saul was like, who is this? His brothers underestimated him and didn't even want him around. His daddy didn't invite him to the party. His daddy sent him down to serve. And God is the one who chose him to defeat the giant. It don't matter. It don't matter who says what about you because God's opinion is all that matters. And you shouldn't be concerned about pleasing somebody around you. All you should be concerned about is serving him. I don't have to do what you tell me to do. I want to serve the King of Kings. And by serving him, I'm going to serve you. And the power is not in me throwing the stones at my giant. The power is when I pick up the bushel because that's when God moves. So today we're looking for people. No, just- <laughs> listen to me, listen. Saul still didn't know who David was, though. It don't matter who, does, who knows you and who don't know you. It don't matter. God sees you. He's always seeing you. And God is always making a way. Absolutely always making a way. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to serve my way to victory. I'm going to serve my way to victory. I'm going to get victories that nobody else could imagine that I could get because I'm going to serve my way to them because they're going to underestimate me every single step of the way and I'm going to love it because one day, just like David, you're going to reign over the ones that mocked you, the ones that made fun of you, and you're going to pick up the head of a giant that you've been faced with and you're going to take it back to your daddy, your daddy, your father, and you're going to say, <laughs> look what I got. And he's going to say, good job. Even though he's the one that really did it, but <laughs> he's still, he's still going to be proud of you for what you did. God, thank you today for your amazing plan for us. You've made a way when, God, there, there absolutely is no way that we can imagine in our minds that it could possibly be. God, you're always working. You're always working on our behalf. And God, it's for the greater good of the kingdom. But God, we're in that as a believer, as a Christian, God, today. I'm just so thankful that I get a walk in this. And God, we're, we're, we're surrounded by some really troublesome times. But God, in the midst of that, there's peace. In the midst of that, there's almost an excitement knowing we are one day closer to walking hand in hand with our Redeemer. And we are one day closer to standing on streets of gold. Streets of gold. We are one day closer to standing in the midst of heaven and worshiping you with all the angels, with all the saints that have gone before And together singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. God, thank you so much today. Thank you for choosing us to be a part of this life that we have here. Thank you today, God, that we have those around us that overlook us and underestimate us. But God, you never do. We thank you today that you've got a plan and you're working it out. You're making a way today, God. We love you and adore you in Jesus' name.
Just staying with us.